Hey there, I'm John Collins and welcome to Inside Intercom. This week, we're bringing you another talk from our Inside Intercom World Tour. The tour gave us the chance to meet so many of you in person and we've loved sharing stories about what we've been learning as the company has grown. So we're delighted to share those insights with even more of you now on the podcast. One of the most important things we've learned is the power of a good story. Behind every growing company is a story and a vision, and your team's absorption of this story influences everything from hiring to product strategy. Our head of platform partnerships, Jeff Gardner, knows this firsthand because he's been telling the Intercom story for years. Jeff was the fourth hire here at Intercom and the first person to work on customer support. He's now been with us for over six years in a variety of roles, from leading our global customer support teams to now architecting our platform partnerships. And telling the Intercom story has been a common element for Jeff in the way he's led his teams. In today's episode, he shares the impact he's seen firsthand from his incessant storytelling. He talks about how he's used our story to weed out bad candidates for open roles. He reveals how our story informs the way we built our product features, including our chatbot technology operator. And he explains how our story has shaped the way we articulate our team values and even judge performance. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget, subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. But without further ado, here's Jeff and his talk at the World Tour Stop in Sydney, Australia on the importance of great stories. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Last year, a funny thing happened to me when both myself and my four-year-old son, Luca, were homesick. (sighs) Since we were lying around anyways, being sick, I decided that we would watch my favorite film ever, Back to the Future. Thank you. Now, really, I was just hoping that he was going to let me watch some of the film. Maybe he'd be distracted for an hour or so but he actually sat there through all 116 minutes of the film. But what really surprised me about this was actually that he was following the story, that he was laughing at the jokes, and he was really excited by the idea of seeing his little brother disappear from a photo and then disappear in real life as well. For days, he was running around the house yelling, Great Scott! with this perfect look of exasperation on his face. And it made me think a little bit about how powerful a really good story can be. Tens of thousands of years of evolution have shaped our brains to look for stories, haven't they? To learn from them, to be inspired by them, and a lot of times to find some piece of ourselves in them, right? When you're starting up, you're trying to create something from nothing. And that means that your story is literally all that you have. Your product is probably a little embarrassing, I doubt you have much funding, and you might still be looking for anybody to join you. So that's why it's really essential that you're able to explain the problem you're trying to solve and to communicate why it even matters that that problem gets solved in the first place. Over the last five and a half years, I've seen firsthand how our story at Intercom has had a lot of practical applications. It's helped us to build a really great team. It's helped guide how we think about talking to our customers and to each other. And it's actually helped us understand what we should and shouldn't build. 
So this evening, I'd like to share some of what I've learned along the way and hopefully help you guys craft your own stories a little bit better. So let's start by looking at what it takes to build a story. And when I think of great storytelling, the first thing that comes to mind is Pixar. And I was really surprised to find out that actually Pixar uses a really simple prompt to begin writing every single film they make. And the prompt goes like this. Once upon a time, every day, one day, because of that, because of that, until finally. It's just six lines. It's really simple. And just so you understand what that actually looks like, here's what Finding Nemo sounds like in that format. Once upon a time, there was a fish named Nemo. Every day, his father warned him not to swim too far out to sea. One day, in an act of defiance, Nemo ignores his father's warnings and he swims out into the open water. Because of that, he's captured by a diver. Because of that, his father sets off on a journey to save him. Until finally, they find each other, they're reunited, and they learn that love depends on trust. Now, this is a story with a complete arc. It first sets the stage, gives you a bit of context, then it presents a problem or a crisis, and then it resolves that problem by the end of the story. It's pretty simple, but as Pixar can attest, it's also pretty effective. So how does this translate to our world? What does Intercom's story sound like in this format? Well, it goes like this. Once upon a time, there were a group of founders who ran a really small startup. And every day they'd work from a local coffee shop that was always full of happy customers. One day, they noticed how the owner of this coffee shop was able to build real relationships with his customers by just interacting with them in a really personal way. Because of that, the founders were a little sad because they wished they could do the same thing with their customers. Because of that, they built a small feature into their product so that they could talk to their users. Until finally, they realized that this was actually a universal problem faced by all internet businesses, and they decided to make business personal again. Now, there is one critical difference between the Nemo story and the Intercom story. And the difference is that stories that end with resolution, with closure, Nemo, these are pleasing to audiences. You know, they all lived happily ever after. It's perfect for books and films, but it's actually terrible for startups or companies of any size for that matter. You don't want to leave your audience with closure. You want them to know that there are still problems out there that are worth solving and challenges that are actually gonna help them grow and get better. The last line of the story I just told you is actually Intercom's mission to make business personal. And I think this part's actually really important because by using our mission as kind of a hanging line at the end of the story, we've sort of turned the story into a call to action, haven't we? I can't tell you how many times I've told that story. The support team at Intercom is getting close to 100 people, and that means that I've had to hire a lot over the last five years. At this stage, it's at least one of the things I feel like I'm pretty good at. But when I started trying to hire people, I was terrible. I failed really badly a bunch of times. In fact, of the first couple of people I hired, no one lasted longer than two months, and one person didn't even make it two weeks. But around that same time, a little bit by accident actually, I started telling that same story to every candidate that I interviewed. 
And I noticed something really surprising. Everybody was either immediately excited by or immediately repelled and sometimes even a little frightened by the story. And the best part was they actually couldn't help it. It was their brain sort of hearing the story and then immediately reacting to it. And that reaction gave me a really important insight into their character. By presenting our story, warts and all, I was sort of weeding out people who were overly risk averse or people who just weren't up for a big challenge. It was self-selection bias actually working in my favor. And what I learned is that a great story actually needs to be just as much about repelling the wrong types of people as it is about attracting the right types. Now, up until now, I have been avoiding using the word vision. And I think many of you have probably recognized that I'm sort of using story and vision kind of in ways that could be considered interchangeable. But to me, there's a really fundamental difference. A story implies that there's this unknown path, that there's a journey ahead, and that you have to chart that journey. You have to play an active role in getting there. And in early stage companies especially, you need people with that mindset people that are attracted to that sort of uncertain journey. But a vision, on the other hand, is just sort of a snapshot of a place that's kind of far away or a long time away in the future. Vision doesn't give you any indication that you actually have to play an active part in getting there. Even really classic vision statements like Microsoft's a computer on every desk and in every home, they don't really give you a sense of what's in the middle, do they? A good story has to connect the present moment to that vision of the future. But the very best stories can actually help to continue and inform behavior as your company continues to grow and evolve. And we're really lucky on the support team because we have a lot of chances and a very tight feedback loop to sort of understand how well we're applying Intercom's story to our day-to-day -day work. I mean, it's fairly simple to know when you've offended someone or damaged a relationship, isn't it? And so we get 7,000 chances a week in every single conversation that we have with our customers to actually ask ourselves that question. Are we right now making business more personal or are we making it less personal? And we've been really fortunate so far that we've been able to grow the team to nearly 100 without actually having to over-prescribe and tell people, this is how you make business personal. We just allowed our story to help guide how people give that great service. Early on, I sat down with Des, one of our co-founders, and we wrote out 10 characteristics of that kind of described the way that we wanted to talk to our customers. And we arrived at these 10 not by benchmarking other companies' support practices, but just by thinking through what does it mean to communicate with another human in a personal way. I think too many teams try and achieve scale simply by looking at what others in the industry are doing and then just trying to copy it wholesale. But I think just like your mom back in middle school probably told you, you just need to be you. And so instead of scripting how we wanted the team to talk, we just gave them the list, our style guide of, you know, in one sense, and said, use your good judgment, let your personality come through. Some people use a lot of gifts, some people don't. That's totally cool. Now, of course, we do have process. I don't think it's possible to scale to 100 people or even 50 people with no process whatsoever. But we universally think about process in a way that is, how do we remove decisions and make things easier for people, rather than how do we control people's behavior? 
But making business personal is not just about how we talk to our customers, is it? It's how we talk to each other. One of my favorite support team culture tenants is be radically candid. And say what you want about the branding of radical candor. I know there's some fence sitters out there on, on that one, but I'm very certain that it's this culture tenant above all the other ones that has allowed us to scale as well as we have. It's really easy to just be blunt and tell somebody that you think they're screwing something up. I mean, assholes do that all the time. It's not hard. It's a lot harder to assume positive intent in someone else, to put on your detective cap, and to ask a lot of good questions before you throw that feedback on them. We decided a long time ago that how we talk to each other is just as important as how we talk to our customers. And in a somewhat paradoxical way, this is also why Netflix can get away with saying things like, we give adequate performers a generous severance package. Creating a dream team is a very core part of their story. And in that story, simply good performance isn't good enough. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So, you have a great team. Good job. But without something to sell, you're probably going to have a hard time making payroll and keeping that team around for very long, aren't you? Thankfully, story can also influence how you decide to build your product. I think a really good illustration of this is our bot operator. We launched operator just a few weeks ago, well after media hype reached crescendo and actually well after quite a few of our competitors. Computers are great for lightning fast computation, but they still are not that good at talking to humans. I mean, even Alexa and Google Home, as good as they are, as fun as they are, really are only kind of scratching the surface of what's possible. And so we're very convinced that the real challenge of building a great bot that's helpful, that's useful, isn't just about getting the customers, understanding a customer's intent, but also making the bot well-mannered enough to know when to just keep its mouth shut and let a human answer the question instead. 
And so we didn't launch Operator. And we didn't launch Operator. And we continued to not launch Operator until we had something that we felt really proud of. Something that we felt actually helped our customers to be more personal with their own customers. This is also why we don't have tickets in Intercom Respond. The idea of hiding a customer, a person, behind a ticket number is sort of the antithesis of what we're here to do. Also, no one likes the idea of being put in a queue. So why would you knowingly telegraph to your customers that that's what you've just done to them? No matter how many feature requests we get for adding tickets to Intercom, it's just an easy no because it focuses on the workflow rather than the people at either end of that workflow. So many companies fail to live through that scale-up phase for precisely this reason. When the founders of a company are still the ones that are primarily focused on building that little baby product, it's easy to understand the story and not let stuff slip through. But unless every person in your company knows exactly what you're building and knows why you're building it, eventually someone somewhere is going to have a really great idea for a feature that has nothing to do with your story, and it's going to get built. So great team, excellent. Great product, excellent. At this point, you might be thinking that stories kind of sound like a bit of a magic bullet, that they can help you everywhere. But like most things in life, there's a catch. There's a price that you have to pay if you're actually going to use story effectively. And that price is that you have to be able to muster the endurance and maintain the discipline to basically tell that story all the time forever. And this is like one place where I think our CEO Owen has to be commended because at every all hands for the last six years, same story. Every time he's out there trying to hire a really key candidate, same story. Every time he's out there trying to raise more funding, exact same story. Is it kind of repetitive? Definitely. But there's always someone out there who's hearing it for the first time. And even for the rest of us, every time we hear that story, it's a great reminder about why we even show up to work every day. And a great reminder to be grateful because we get to work on something unfinished and important and really exciting. Now, up until now, I've been talking mostly about how story can help you in the startup phase when you're a little tiny company. But story is actually regularly the reason that aging companies can stage remarkable turnarounds as well. Take Starbucks. For years, Starbucks was the darling of Wall Street until they overreached and they grew from 5,000 to 15,000 stores in a period of just eight years. The quality of the coffee dropped. Some of you would say the quality of the coffee was never good, but the service was objectively dismal. But then Howard Schultz, the original CEO of Starbucks, the original founder, returned to the CEO post and he made every single thing he did day in and day out about revitalizing that story and telling everybody in the company about what they were actually there to do. And the result was that in a period where analysts were calling for Starbucks to be kind of ripped apart and sold for parts, they actually found a way to cut massive costs while still investing really heavily in employees, doing something that was very core to their story. At its low in late 2008, an investment of just $1,000 in Starbucks would currently be worth over $14,000. It's not a bad show for just reminding people what mission they're on. 
Building a company is fundamentally about creating something from nothing. Whether you're a founder or an early employee or the 20,000th employee, understanding the mission that you're on is fundamental to working on the right things at the right times and in the right ways. Stories can tell you who to hire. They can tell you who to fire. They can help you judge performance. They can tell you what to build and they can tell you what not to build. But let me leave you the final thought. I've just finished Yuval Noah Harari's book, Sapiens. And in it, he asserts that humans are the only species on the planet that live in a dual reality. We live in the physical reality around us, the stage, the air, our bodies. And we live in a reality that is constructed by the stories that we tell ourselves. Things like money and nations and Justin Bieber and religions and yeah, startups. And he goes on to say that it's this characteristic of Homo sapiens that has made us the dominant species on the planet. Because unlike any other animal, we alone have the ability to organize ourselves around a common belief, a belief in a story. As an entrepreneur, as a leader, your job is to construct the story. Your job is to draw the map and place the X, and then to go around telling that story all the time to everybody you meet. Until finally, with the help of some of those people, you're able to create a new piece of reality. Thank you. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes,